And welcome to another version of the Gen X VZ podcast. I am Brian, and I am representing Gen X. And I'm Mackenzie, and I'm Gen Z. And we are both film school graduates, and we are both people who love talking about movies. I have worked in the movie industry for 25-odd years, and Mackenzie... And I, I um, work at Chapman University's film school, Dodge College, as a staff member, which is also my alma mater. So just kind of trying to stay up to date with movies as much as possible, just like talking about movies. Yeah, and we both love talking about movies. And we're going to do something a little different today. Um, Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, if you're listening to this on the day it drops and Valentine's Day is tomorrow. Um, and uh, we thought we might try something a little different. We might thought we might go through our each of our personal top five romantic comedies and in in observance of valentine's day to kind of get people in the mood and get people thinking about it and um i will say off the top that the romantic comedy is not necessarily my favorite genre but i have romantic comedies that i have really liked a lot i will say it's also probably a blind spot for me as well okay oh i thought you were i thought you were more into the I thought you were more into the romantic comedies than I was. I mean, yes, probably. That's still probably the case. I do really like romantic comedies, but um, it's funny. I've been having more conversations with people about romantic comedies recently, and it has come up that there are still a bunch that I haven't seen, even though it feels like I've seen a lot. Um, so, But I think there are a few like seminal ones that I still have not seen. Like, I haven't seen She's the Man. Oh, I haven't seen a lot of like the Amanda Bynes romantic comedies. Um, yeah, I mean, I've kind of missed all of those too, but I'm, I'm probably not the target audience for those either. Well, and that's the thing. That's where the generational gap comes in. I guess that's that's now we now we really have a Gen X VZ uh, yeah. conversation here going on, <laughs> and it'll probably it might come out in our in our list. It might come out in our list of movies. Um, all right, well, I can go ahead and start. Um, you know, I think this is sort of a free form thing. We'll talk about. You know, I'll I'll maybe go through one movie at a time and. You can tell me why I'm right or why I'm wrong, and I can maybe defend my choice a little bit. So I guess I'll go, let's count down from five to one. And if I had to put one forward as my fifth favorite romantic comedy, I would say it's Crazy Stupid Love. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Is that just a grunt? (laughs) No, it's like, oh yeah, okay, because I I tend to forget about that one. Yeah, it's it's almost like, um, it's not your traditional rom-com, right? It's it's got it's got a bunch of like established stars, and it's got. Uh, I, I think maybe one of the things that I like it about it is that it's got a little bit of a deeper story to it than you usually get in romantic comedies. I mean, there have been some great romantic comedies. Don't get me wrong; we're going to go through a lot of them right now. But I, I feel like in general, romantic comedies are relatively surface level stories. But I think what what drew me in about Crazy Stupid Love is that it, it kind of goes in some different directions that you don't normally get in the romantic comedy. No, I think that's totally true. And it has actually been a really long time since I've seen Crazy Stupid Love. Um, actually, I think the one time I watched it, Skylar and I were watching it together. You and Mom were out at a party or something, and I think maybe Skylar wasn't supposed to be watching it, but she talked me into watching it. So it's been about <laughs> that long. <laughs> Since I've seen it, so, so I throwing, think it, you're throwing your sister under the bus, and she might listen to this and correct the story. But I think that's what was happening. But um, <laughs> I, I think it's time. I think it just means it's time for me to revisit that one. 
Yeah, and I haven't seen it in a long time myself, and I would like to revisit it too. I, I just I love Steve Carell in it. I love Julianne Moore in it. Uh, I I don't know if it's I don't think it's the first movie that Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling were in together, but it's an earlier one, I think. Right? I mean, they kind of had a stretch in the in the twenty teens where it seemed like every year those guys had a movie that they were in together, and and that was just sort of like the latest the latest in the string. Yeah, but no, there are some I've, great moments between them. I thought they had some really exceptional. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I I think it it was the first one because I think it was after that that was Gangster Gangster Squad. I think that came later. So I think this is the first. Right, one and then La together. La Land obviously came a bit later. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I I the the one line I always just remember is like the first time they're hooking up and Gosling takes off his shirt and he's just got this ripped six pack abs and Emma Stone's like, Oh my God, it's like you're photoshopped. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite lines all time from any romantic comedy ever. I think. That was good. Um, and then, and then I really liked the, the dynamic between Steve Carell and Julianne Moore in that movie is this sort of couple that has been through all that. I think that's the thing, right? It's usually in romantic comedies it's about the beginning of a relationship, right? It's about two, it's two people who meet and they don't like each other at first. And then they kind of fall in love over the course of the story. And then something happens that make one of them think that they don't love each other anymore. And then they end up together. Right. That's kind of your formula for romantic comedies. And in, in crazy stupid love, which I think it might not be on the romantic comedy radar for a lot of people is that it starts with Steve Carell and Julianne Moore, and they've been married for a long time and she basically wants to end their marriage. And so it's kind of going through the motions of him, of Steve Carell, either trying to find somebody new or trying with his wife. And then also sort of like the B plot of that is Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling getting together while Ryan Gosling is sort of like teaching Steve Carell how to be a cool bachelor. And then there's the funny twist to start the third act that kind of throws everything into everything into turmoil uh, for the last half of, for the last, you know, half or so of the movie. And um, I think that that's, I think the fact that it kind of turns the genre inside out is probably what I appreciate about it the most. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think I, you know, obviously don't want to give the twist away because if people haven't seen crazy, stupid love, that scene is so funny and going into it blind is it's very is yeah. the is the best um you have to go into it blind yes and you would absolutely ruin the go ahead sorry go i, I didn't mean to interrupt go ahead no 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 just that's i mean that's kind of it just i and but it's it's so funny it's i like definitely i think about that scene a lot and i haven't seen the movie in a long time but i do think about <laughs> that scene a lot yeah yeah and and yes and if you haven't seen crazy stupid love you'll you'll know what we're talking about as soon as it happens and yeah, it is one of those things where you, you really don't want to spoil it because I didn't see it coming for sure when it, you know, when I was watching the movie and yes, that scene is just bonkers, crazy, hilarious, off the rails, funny. It's, it's just great stuff. So yes, I highly, if you have not seen Crazy Stupid Love, I highly recommend it. Even if you're not a romantic comedy fan, it probably would suit you because like I said, it does, even though it is. A romantic comedy because there's romance and comedy in it it does not follow the romantic comedy formula uh really at all so i think that's worth worth checking out uh this valentine's day if you're looking for something that's romantic and funny um so i'll move on to my number four pick uh, um 
probably my number four favorite romantic comedy is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah. What do you think about that one? I love that one. <laughs> that one is also on my list. I love that movie so much. Oh, great. That, okay. that is one that like completely has the rewatch factor for me. Um, and it's just so like wholesome and sweet and funny and... Yeah, I actually I've not seen any of the sequels, but I kind of don't even want to see the sequels because I don't want to potentially ruin how perfect the first movie is. That's how much I love. Yeah, I that movie. I, I I think that that's a great idea. I have not seen the sequels either. I did watch the pilot of the TV series that they did. There was a TV series, and it was um, yeah. I don't think it even lasted a full season. Ooh, um, ooh, buddy. And it was it was a hot it was a hot mess. It was. It was a hot mess. And and so I stopped. Your mother and I were watching it. And I, I don't think we watched it again after that first one just because it, it was just, it was them trying to be funny. Yeah. And I think brutal. what worked with the movie, especially the first movie, is that everything came so naturally. Uh, it, it, it just, it just flowed. And no, I'm not Greek. You could still empathize with these characters, right? Because everybody's got kind of a crazy family. And the way uh, the girl's family was in that movie was obviously they're very eccentric to say the least. And then his family was as straight laced as they come and watching him integrate himself. And I, I don't know if I've ever laughed as hard in a movie scene as I did when they baptized him in the kiddie pool <laughs> in, the, in the Greek Orthodox church. Well, I mean, my, my favorite scene, is anything with the aunt who's played by Andrea Martin the like you come to my house and i make lamb it's like oh no ian's a vegetarian or no no wait what did she say yeah. you come you come home and i cook no. dinner for you and i cook for you it's like oh no that doesn't work he's a vegetarian it's like oh that's okay i make lamb yeah yeah I no, just, what do you mean what do you mean you don't eat no meat, meat. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah or yeah, yeah. inside the love then, or when, was my and then when the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or when, when the when his parents show up at the party with a bunt and they're like this cake has a hole in it. <laughs> and they put <laughs> and a, they, a, a, a flower and then pot. They, back and they, they put the pot of flowers in the middle of it. Oh my God. Yes. There's just so many just quotable and relivable points in that movie. And you, your mother and I saw it in the theater when it first came out. And it's, there's a great story behind that movie too, because um, I, I, I can't remember the name of the actress, but she, she wrote the script. Nia Vardalos. And she, thank you very much. And uh, she shopped it around and nobody was interested in it. And so she turned it into a stage play that Rita Wilson happened to see, Tom Hanks's wife. And she went up to her afterwards. This is, this is the story I heard anyway. And she's like, this would be a great movie. I would love to see this turned into a screenplay. And she's like, well, I already have the screenplay. And so Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks produced it. And I think it got made for something stupid, like four or five million dollars was the entire budget of the movie. And it just caught fire in the theaters and it made like 300 million or something crazy like that. And it was, you know, for a time, if not still, was the most profitable movie ever made because it just got made on a shoestring budget. And and again, I mean, that's why it spawned all those sequels, right? And the TV show and all of that, because it was the most profitable movie of all time and they could afford to burn some money on sequels and on a TV show. Yeah, there show. you go. Uh, but, it, but it's just one of those gratifying Hollywood stories, right? Of, of somebody knowing that they had a good story, figuring out a way to get it out there 
and then the right people saw it and you know it's one of those times where it's it's you know it's you're you're got to be lucky and good right you have to be good enough to write a good screenplay but lucky enough to have the right people see it and you know for me it's one of the great hollywood success stories it's one of my favorite hollywood success stories i should say oh yeah and it's funny you know if i can just talk about me for a second i've like just some fun like connections like and to that movie and like why it's like stayed relevant in my life is, you know, I th the story you're telling about Rita Wilson seeing it as a play, um, people can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I'm fairly certain it was put on at Pasadena Playhouse, which is just up the street from where I live right now. Um, so like that's oh, yeah. where it was originally produced, which I think is super cool. So it was like local theater. It wasn't even like it was Broadway, like it was small local theater. Yes. Um, I thought, yeah, I, I couldn't remember the theater, but I thought it was a small theater that was local to LA where it was being produced. Yeah, that Which makes sense. Which is super cool. And then just a little side note about me. Um, the last show that I stage managed before um, the pandemic hit was a small play in LA that was directed by Joel Zwick, the director of My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And it was a very cool experience. It was awesome to get to do that. And he was super nice and really cool and like told lots of fun stories. But the cast party was at his house and I was, you know, in the house trying to find the bathroom and walked down this random hallway. And there was a bunch of like my big fat Greek wedding stuff up on the walls. And one of them was like the certificate of the Academy like nomination because it was nominated for best original screenplay. And I was just standing there needing to pee, but staring at this like certificate like oh my god <laughs> there it is yeah it's like the holy grail yeah, yeah seriously it really happened oh my god yeah. <laughs> that's awesome oh my god i can touch Very it cool. it's right there <laughs> it's tactile it's tactile. um <laughs> uh all right well hey that segment went pretty quick all of a sudden we're 15 yeah. minutes in so we're gonna take a quick break and then we will come back and i will reveal my top three rom-com my top three favorite rom-coms we'll be right back and we are back with segment two of the Gen X VZ movie podcast, and we are discussing our favorite rom-coms. And uh, producer Luke had a um, quick uh, correction for us. Um, Mackenzie said, correct me if I'm wrong, and producer Luke did go ahead and do that. So, Mackenzie, what was what was the actual thing um, we needed to talk about? So it was not Passing to Playhouse. It was actually the Hudson Theater. I was right, and it's a small local L.A. theater, but it was a different small local L.A. theater. So it was the Hudson just in Hollywood rather than Santa Monica Pasadena instead Playhouse. of Pasadena. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Other side of town. Other side of yeah. town. So all good. Um, all right. So I'm going to continue on with my list. I'm at number three, and I will say my third favorite Romantic comedy is probably the first great romantic comedy, the godfather of all romantic comedies. It Happened One Night, starring Clark Gable and uh, Claudette Colbert. It was your best picture winner for like 1936 or 37. I think it was earlier than that. I think it was 34. No, I'm looking at it right now. It was 34. It might have been. Was it before? Was it before? What's that? It was before Gone with the Wind, I guess, right? Yeah, I'm looking at it right okay. now. Okay. It's 1934. Right. So yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there you go. Um, uh, I think that this movie is just. I mean, it's a. It's obviously it's a classic. It's got two of the biggest stars in it from the golden age of Hollywood. It's probably one of the movies that helped 
make Clark Gable such a big star because it, he was it, it it was a it was a back to back Best Picture winner for him because uh, either the year before or the year after he was in Mutiny on the Bounty, um, which or, yeah Mutiny on the Bounty, mm-hmm. which uh, also won Best Picture, and then a couple of years later. Uh, was gone with the wind. So he was in three best picture winners in the 1930s and probably the biggest movie of the decade and maybe the second biggest decade in, in it happened one night. And so I think that those two movies for sure. And the fact that he was in three best picture winners really helped accelerate him to being one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. And it happened one night for me is just, it's so funny. It also is, is a bit subversive uh, because the the production the, the Hayes Code hadn't really I don't think the Hayes Code had really hit yet but there was still like a lot of censorship around what you could and couldn't say uh, in 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 the movies and there's a lot of sexual tension between the two of them and they basically talked about horns blowing down the walls of Jericho uh, as their sort of metaphor for for having sex and they use it very cleverly in that movie. And I think that there's just a lot of very clever, a lot of great cleverness going on. And it's, to me, it's a, it's a really one of the great hilarious movies of all time. I love it happened one night so much. That one is also on my list actually. Um, um, But, but I think it's just, it's because it is, the rom-com to end all rom-coms it's like the first it's the it's the textbook it's the blueprint for rom-coms um and yeah i mean it's it's funny just how much yes it's from 1934 but it really does hold up for modern viewing at least for me and i don't know if it's because i'm a nerd but i i think it does actually hold up quite a bit i think it's because there are a lot of jokes in it and gags that were repeated over time, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's the scene where they're hitchhiking and he's yes. trying to tell her the proper method for sticking your thumb out to get a ride and cars keep passing him and keep passing him. And then she pulls up her skirt and sticks out her leg and a car stops short. Right. And I mean, how many times have we seen that played in a TV show or a cartoon or another, another movie, you know, it's one of the great jokes of all time. And as far as I know, that's probably the first time, you know, that it happened. And yes, I mean, it's definitely struck the formula, right? I mean, these two characters meet, they don't like each other. He's got alternative motives to helping her. And then over the course of the movie, they fall in love. Then they think that one of them thinks the other one is, you know, not acting honorably. And, and you know, again, it, it just, it, it checks all the boxes because it created the boxes, right? It built the boxes. And you know, everyone that's come after it, almost everyone that's come after it has come up short. There's a couple that maybe haven't that we'll get to on my list in a minute, but uh, really it's, it still holds up as one of the top romantic comedies of all time, in my humble opinion. And I agree. It's one of my faves and it's another one that has the rewatch factor. Yeah, it it really does. Yeah. And if you're, I know if you're, if you're a fan of movies, but you don't, you don't like, old movies. I know there's a lot of people out there who if, if something's in black and white, then they're just not interested. And, you know, I understand. I, I kind of had that feeling myself for a long time. But, man, do yourself a favor. If you've never seen it happen one night, find it on Netflix, find it on HBO, wherever it's playing, rent it on Amazon. You will not regret it. It's funny. The humor holds up. They're, they're snarky. They're sarcastic. 
they're hard scrabble or edgy and even Claudette Colbert, you know, she, she, she packs a punch in this movie as well. She doesn't take a backseat to Clark Gable at all. In fact, she might even be billed ahead of him on the movie. Cause I think she was actually a bigger star at that point. And in fact, there's kind of a funny story that I heard where she was on vacation and they got her to come back early. I, I, and I'm going to butcher the story cause I don't have it exactly in front of me. And she came and she shot all the scenes that she needed to do in a couple of weeks. And she wrote a letter to her friend. She's like, I just performed in the worst picture I've ever made in my life. And then it went on to win best picture. And it's been one of the most iconic movies of all time. So it's kind of funny how wrong you can be about your own work. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, all right. Well, yeah. well I'm going to move along to number. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. I, well, I mean, I was going to add just at the very tail end, just if also, if you need another reason to watch it, it's short. It's only 105 minutes. Yes. Yeah. The, the fairy tale aspect is another good, good point. I, I hadn't really thought about that until now, but yeah, it's, it's very much, it's very much a fairy tale. And I think that, that helps, that helps a lot. I mean, it's certainly like, look, I mean, coming all the way up to like pretty woman, which is certainly one that could be on the list as well. Um, uh, that's certainly if, you know, if it was a top six, pretty woman would probably be list. Uh, and I think that follows a lot of the same beats that, that, uh, that it happened one night followed as well. Yeah. Um, all right. So quickly moving on my second favorite romantic comedy of all time is the Philadelphia story. <laughs> we have a lot of overlap. Well. <laughs> we do have some overlap. <laughs> Outstanding. <Oops. laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I love the Philadelphia story. Um, I love everybody in it, right? I love Katherine Hepburn. I love James Stewart. I love Cary Grant. The story itself is incredibly funny. And again, I don't think, well, it, you know what? I was going to say, I don't think it hits all the beats, but it it kind of does. But again, it's another one of those, it's like Crazy Stupid Love, where Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn had already been together and broken up. And now they're like rekindling their relationship in a weird way. Yeah, this is one that um, I have very clear, distinct memories of when I was little and given access to the cable remote. Um, I would flip between Disney Channel and Turner Classic Movies, but I would always check Turner Classic Movies first to see if the Philadelphia story was on. And if it wasn't, then I'd go back to Wizards of Waverly Place or whatever it was that I was watching. But little eight-year-old Mackenzie was like, is the Philadelphia story on Turner Classic Movies right now? If it is, I have to watch it. Um, I, yeah, I, and that's another one where it's just, you know, it's like fun slapstick comedy. Um, and, you know, Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant and James Stewart all just knocking it out of the park. And it's just like all of them just are so funny all together. Um, so yeah, it's a really good one. Yeah. It's, it's got another one of my favorite lines too, when, when they're at the, the, rehearsal dinner party before and they're all just shit-faced and then they all wake up the next morning completely hung over which is something you don't often see right like you don't you, you know you don't necessarily see the morning after and it's incredibly funny and the one character who isn't hung over is like the 12 year old or 13 year old sister and she comes up in a horse-drawn carriage and she wants her uncle to go for a ride with her so she can tell her what she saw the night before and he's like, "Do we really need to ride in that? Wouldn't we? Wouldn't we be more comfortable on pogo sticks?" It's <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> so good. So yeah, that's yeah, it's all so good. One of it's literally one of my favorite. 
It's it, aside from being one of my favorite rom coms, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Me right? too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just yeah, it's so good. You, you can't. Again, James Stewart, Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, th- three of maybe the most iconic actors of the 20th century, right? I, I, I could make the case of, that Catherine Hepburn is the greatest actress of the 20th century. And I could make a case that James Stewart is, if not the greatest actor of the 20th century, certainly in the top five, right? Of just like solid actors. And Cary Grant, I don't know that he was as good of an actor as any of them, but he certainly was one of the biggest movie stars. Yeah. Right? From the 1930s to the 1960s, I mean, there were not many movie stars bigger than Cary Grant. And he also was really great with the slapstick, too. Like, if you just look at what he was really good at and where he really shined, the slapstick comedy that he did in his career is pretty stellar. Yes. Yes. His slapstick was great. I I mean, like, look, the opening scene of the movie, right, where... Yes. You know, where Catherine Hepburn is kicking him out of the house and he basically shoves her by the face back through the door, right? And, um, but even, even with that, he's got some really great one-liners too, right? Mm -hmm. Like when they're, when they're all showing up for the wedding and, uh, you know, you know, Catherine Hepburn's like, like, oh my gosh, look at them. And he's like, yes, don't they look solemn (laughs) (laughs) as they're getting ready for a a wedding. Right. And, you know, it's just these kind of like subtle little jabs that he throws in that if you're not paying attention, they might go over your head. Mm -hmm. But if you are paying attention, they're huge crack ups. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of this movie. Uh, and again, this is another one of those movies where don't be afraid of it being black and white. Don't be no. afraid of it, you know, being the kind of old time acting and directing and whatnot. This is a great, great movie. And it's on, you know, it's on the AFI top 100 for a reason. Right. And it was nominated for best picture. And it's just, it's, Again, there aren't enough superlatives for how exceptional this movie is. I just love it. Yeah, it's it's so it's funny. I you know this has been one of my favorite movies since I was little, Um, and I you know was watching. um, I was on HBO Max and was watching like old movies that I had never seen before, and one of them was High Society, the musical with Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra and Grace Kelly, and I didn't know anything about it. I just knew it was a musical, so I was like, all right, I'm in. In the first few minutes, yeah. the like narrator is kind of narrating the plot of the story through song. And I was listening to it and listening to the lyrics, and I was like, he's just describing the Philadelphia story. That's weird. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then literally the opening part of the movie, like with the little sister and the mom and like their interactions, I was like, it's the dialogue is exactly the same. I was like, oh, this is just the Philadelphia story. Like, but I had it like so memorized that I knew like, oh, that is the exact same dialogue. (laughs) And it wasn't as good. (laughs) Yeah, that's incredible. (laughs) All right. Well, um, I think we'll, let's break here. Um, I've got one more on my top five list. Uh, I suspect it's going to be on yours as well. So, um, let's take a quick break and then we will be back, uh, to finish my list up and to start McKenzie's. We'll be right back. And we are back, uh, with segment three of the Gen X VZ podcast movie podcast we are talking about our favorite rom-coms in celebration of valentine's day which is coming up tomorrow if you're listening to this on the day it drops if you're listening to it later then uh, valentine's day has already happened 
Uh, but we can still talk about rom-coms because we all love them so much. Uh, so my number one rom-com, drum roll, right? Like they do in Christmas Vacation. Uh, my number one rom-com is When Harry Met Sally, which probably isn't much of a surprise. I think a lot of people prefer to When Harry Met Sally is the greatest rom-com of all time. And look, they're all right. I mean, it's one of the funniest movies ever made. We want to talk about rewatchability factor. Oh my God, I don't, I don't know. There, there are not many movies that are as rewatchable as When Harry Met Sally. Uh, that movie is as rewatchable as it gets. Yeah, that's another one. Um, don't ever ask me to do the monologue uh, that Harry gives Sally at the end at the New Year's Eve party verbatim because I will do it. Um, when tested, <laughs> don't try me. Um, that's one that, again, it's just, it's one that I, I know by heart. I just love it so much. It's one of my all time favorites. And I mean, kind of coming back to what we were talking about, when we were talking about it happened one night, it does feel like another blueprint for a lot of more contemporary, um, rom-coms, um, in a lot of ways. So yeah, no, it's it's definitely like a seminal one. It's one you have to see if you say you're a rom-com fan. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I mean, look, if you're a movie fan, it's a movie that you should know, right? I mean, it's got one of the one of the most iconic moments, right, of all time uh, when they're in the diner, uh, <laughs> followed by the great great line, "I'll have what she's having." Um, you know, if if you don't know what I mean, then you're missing out, and that's another reason that you need to see when Harry met Sally because it's probably one of the most iconic scenes in movies. And then you're right. I mean, that last mo- the last monologue that Billy Crystal has a- again another great line, right? When you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Uh, such a great line, right? And I, one of the things that I love about that movie, and I, I saw that movie in the Orleans movie theater, the year it came out, a movie theater that doesn't even exist anymore. And it was, uh, the, the thing that I just remember loving about it was little interstitials where they're interviewing all those old couples and they're talking about how they met. And, and uh, you know, you've got that old Japanese couple and the old Jewish couple from New York and, and they've just got these very sweet stories. And, and then you cut to Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan at the end and, and all of them are like, oh, and it only took two days, or it only took, you know, yeah. one, or, you know, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, it only took six months. It's like, well, you know, 15 years and six months, or whatever it ends up being, right? But, um, uh, I, yeah, I, I, one of the, again, another thing that I like about that is it does kind of, like, turn the motif on its head, where, you know, I mean, Meg Ryan is an attractive enough person you know she's a she was you know very pretty back in the day but i mean look billy crystal let's be honest is not a sex symbol right <laughs> bruno kirby is not the sexiest man never was voted sexiest man alive um you know carrie fisher and and meg ryan again they were they were pretty but they weren't the bombshells of the 80s like you know michelle pfeiffer or um, you know, any number of other women that could have been in these movies. And so having relatively ordinary looking people in these roles, I think is one of the things that makes the movie so accessible to so many people and makes the movie so relatable to so many people. You're not watching these sex symbols go back and forth. I mean, you're watching real ordinary people living real ordinary lives fall in love with each other. And I think that that's one of the things that 
makes the movie so successful. Can I just say, and this is just something that I, it's a conversation that I've been having with people for a while. Um, this I feel like is what Hollywood should be trying to replicate with their rom-coms. And I think it would solve the problem that Hollywood is having with rom-coms right now. I just saw Anyone But You a couple weeks ago. And I came out of that movie, like on paper, that movie should have been great. But really what it needed was a Billy Crystal and a Meg Ryan. And it had two mm -hmm. sex symbols as its leads. And I just, I'm tired of rom-coms not feeling real if that makes sense. But also yeah. at the same time, like I need there to be an ounce of whimsy to them. You know, I need them to feel fun and full of life rather than just watching two hot people fall in love with each other. And that's why I think I love when Harry met Sally so much because it's like you said, it just, it feels more real and it feels like you're like watching. watching Go ahead. It feels like you're watching two real people that you could see at any point on the street falling in love with each other you know you don't see sydney sweeney walking down the street every day but you might no, see billy no. crystal you know does that yes. make sense absolutely yeah without a doubt i mean look i don't, I don't want to watch you know uh, the equivalent of barbie and the equivalent of he-man right i mean who's the who's the underdog in that story right there's no i think that's the other thing right when the, with a lot of these rom-coms you know you're kind of rooting for the underdog to get the girl, right? Or to get the guy or who, you know, because there's some quirky weird thing about them. And when you're watching these two perfect physical specimens, you know, try to not be attracted to each other, it just, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't fit, right? So, and that's, I think, again, the great thing about when Harry met Sally is you've got Billy Crystal, who I think might even be shorter than Meg Ryan. And he's kind of chauvinistic and he's kind of cocky and he's a little bit gross. And then you've got <clears throat> Meg Ryan, who's very neurotic and um, little OCD, and they've got faults, right? I mean, these are, are people who've got very real, genuine issues that make them unattractive to other people. And But when they are together, they work with each other, right? It's like that line that Robin Williams had in goodwill hunting it's like it doesn't matter if she's perfect the question is is she perfect for you and that's kind of what they solved in when harry met sally was that they were obviously two very imperfect people they're both imperfect but they found over the course of the movie that they were perfect for each other and i think that that's what makes that movie resonate with so many people is that it's two real people who are imperfect who find each other yeah. And it takes a long time, right? And that's the other thing. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time. It's not like they're at a, they're on a weekend excursion to the Caribbean or the Mediterranean or whatever whatever it is, right? I mean, like this story takes place over literally over like a decade and a half and it takes them that long to finally end up with each other. That's another thing that makes it feel realistic because it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Yeah. I want more of that in my rom-coms nowadays and it's not what I'm getting and it's upsetting, but do better Hollywood. Seriously. <laughs> well, yeah, I, gosh, it does kind of make you want to like sit in on some of these executive meetings and say, these movies that you're making right now are forgettable. Yeah. Right. When Harry met Sally came out in whatever it was 1988, 1989. And 
people are still watching it. People are still loving it. And the, this movie that you made, that the, the one that you just saw last week, a year from now, no one's going to remember it, right? Yeah. And maybe six months from now, no one's going to remember it. And uh, yeah, the, the, they're they're looking at too many focus groups. I don't know. It's just it's it, you're right. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. So anyway, that's my list. So my 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 top five again, going back from number five to number one is Crazy Stupid Love, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, It Happened One Night, The Philadelphia Story, and When Harry Met Sally. And as I said, if we had had a top six list, Pretty Woman probably would have made it. But since we don't have a top six list, Pretty Woman wasn't on it. Yeah. Cool. Well, like I said before, there is quite a bit of overlap. Our top three are the same, like exactly the same. Okay. Um, okay. But um, I do have two others that I can talk about. And then also I was really struggling with the top five list because the thing about me is I, yes, while I haven't seen every rom-com known to man of the ones I've seen, I tend to really love them unless they're hot garbage. Um, and even some of the ones that are hot what, what garbage, I really love. What did you think of the one? Uh, I can't remember the title. The one you saw last week. It's the uh, anyone right but now. you. What, what, anyone but you. Yeah. What did you think about it? So, okay. So here's the thing. It's loosely. Well, it's pretty clearly based on Much Ado About Nothing, which is my favorite Shakespeare play. Um, and so, um, and is like the rom com of Shakespeare plays. Like it is Much Ado About Nothing. Sure. Yeah. No, it is. Um, yeah. And so it's yeah. like going into it i was like this is the perfect shakespeare play to modernize for a rom-com you can't go wrong there's no way you can mess this up and they messed it up and they did <laughs> and i think part of it was you know again like on paper it worked fine but i think you had two people and listen the guy in it was glenn powell who was in Top Gun Maverick, he was in another rom-com that I do really like called Set It Up, which was on Netflix. Um, so, And he, he was good. He was funny. But I think the problem was is that they did not give the characters enough, enough depth. You can't look at Sydney Sweeney and think that girl is going to have a hard time finding love of any kind. Exactly. Right. And all yes. they did was just make her a little quirky, but they didn't even go far enough to make her like purely neurotic. She needed to be neurotic. Or she needed to be abrasive, like Beatrice is in Some, the play. Something, something, yeah, something to make you say, okay, here's a beautiful, stunning woman. Why can't she find love? Why Why isn't she literally beating them off of the stick? Oh, because she's abrasive. Or, oh, because she's completely neurotic or has OCD or whatever that, like you were saying, whatever the heck it is. You, you can't just say, oh, she's just a little quirky. A lot of people find that endearing, right? So... What is it about this person that makes her difficult to love? And so I think the bottom line was it was just so like devoid of any whimsy. Like, and if you're gonna base a modern day rom com on a Shakespeare play, you gotta make you, it's gotta be fun and not take itself too seriously and just be a little whimsical. Um, and I will say, yeah. like, I didn't feel like it was necessarily taking itself too seriously, but it also like just didn't look like it was having any fun. Does that make sense? Like it, it yeah, just was totally like, yeah. we have these boxes to check. We have these plot points to hit from the play and that's it. Like, and it, it made me feel like I, I just wish they had like just done like 
for the faults, for all the faults that the Kenneth Branagh Much Ado About Nothing has, it's just stupid and fun. And I needed it's fun. it yeah, to be a really that. fun movie. Yeah. It needed yeah. to just be stupid and fun. Yeah. And it was stupid, yeah. but it wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're going to check that box, you better check the fun it's box. It's got to be fun if it's going to be yeah. stupid. If it's going to be so, stupid, it better be fun. But it yeah. looked beautiful because, of course, it did. You know, it was yeah. like it, it takes place in Australia. They're in Australia for a wedding. And so the scenery is gorgeous. Everybody on screen is gorgeous, but like, it's just not funny enough. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that's my, yeah. my, my yeah. earnest plea to the studios or whoever is making rom-coms these days. Watch When Harry Met Sally. Watch Clueless. Watch like just any of these like... 80s 90s rom-coms even early 2000s we were i feel like we were still making good rom-coms in the early 2000s and something just went horribly awry but anyway i do yeah. have two rom-coms i can talk about that weren't on your list and then i do also have just a couple honorable mentions that i do i don't have to like get too deep into but just to talk about them because i think they're worth talking about all right well let's take a quick break then and we'll come back and we'll go through those we'll be right back And we are back with our final segment of Gen X VZ, the movie podcast. And we are discussing our favorite romantic comedies in celebration of Valentine's Day. Uh, I gave my top five. I'll just again run, run down them real quick. They were Crazy Stupid Love, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, It Happened One Night, The Philadelphia Story, and When Harry Met Sally. Uh, Mackenzie, you said there was crossover for three of them. Which which three were those again? Well, actually, the now top, that I'm my top three, right? Right, your top three, and then I actually also realized I was going to put my big fat Greek wedding, and I mistakenly did not put it on there. That is another one of okay. my favorites, right. but I I do have more that I can talk about because it's for me it's really hard to like say like this is my top five of anything, but definitely of rom coms because there are a lot that I really do love. Um, but the first one I'll talk about, um, which I do think is like actually number five of my top five is Clueless. Um, it is, um, the, uh, I forget what year, 1995 directed by Amy Heckerling, um, and, uh, is based on Jane Austen's novel, Emma, um, and takes place in, you know, a nineties Beverly Hills high school. And it is, not only is it a perfect adaptation of the novel Emma, it is, it still manages to be its own thing. Um, it doesn't lean too heavily into the fact that it's an adaptation. It kind of lets it live on its own. But if you know Emma, if you know the novel, it is a perfect adaptation. Um, I think it's a really clever way to modernize the kind of, the the you know it's it's a it's a it's a clever way to stand on the shoulders of what came before it right um, yeah and so that I really do love when out of like rom coms are adapted from Shakespeare or Jane Austen or anything like that and I think that's why I was so disappointed by anyone but you because it's something that I absolutely love the concept of and it cool. just completely missed but if you look at Clueless. This is how you do it. Have you seen Clueless? Do you know it at all? Yeah, I, I a long, long time ago. I, th I think the thing that impresses me most about Clueless is 
like how much of it became a part of the vernacular. Yeah. Right. Like, like the, just a lot of the slang, like the, as if, and, and just all of the quirky and fun things that she said that, that literally found their way into popular culture into popular vernacular and became a part of how we talk and speak and just things. I mean, not as much today as it was, you know, maybe in the late nineties and early two thousands, but that movie certainly became a part of the culture uh, in, in a way that you probably wouldn't have expected it to um, again on, on the surface. But, you know, to your point about, you know, when a movie bases itself off of Jane Austen or off of Shakespeare and why you were frustrated with anyone but you, I, I think the problem is when you're starting off with a Shakespeare play or with a Jane Austen novel, it's like being born on third base, right? Like yeah. you're, you know, you're already starting with some of the greatest material that you could possibly start with. And like you said, all you have to do is not mess it up. Just don't mess it up. Right. And it sounds like the folk, good folks who made anything but you as hard as they were trying uh, still messed it up, but the good folks that made clueless you're right. And, and everything was great about clueless. I mean, even right down to the casting and you think of like, like Paul Rudd kind of made his start in that movie, right? And, um, you know, Alicia Silverstone kind of was a star. You know, she, you know, became recognizable in that Aerosmith video and and she parlayed it into Clueless and then into some other things in, in the 90s. But, um, yeah, it was one of those movies that made stars out of quite a few people or at least got people on the right direction to stardom. And yeah, it's, it's kind of in, it, in its own way, it's a very iconic, a very iconic movie. And it's another one, I mean, we were talking earlier about just My Big Fat Greek Wedding and how quotable it is. I mean, this one is just so quotable and people are still quote like, Absolutely. you're a virgin who can't drive. Like, I just say that. <laughs> <laughs> apropos of absolutely nothing like i'll just say it into the but it's just like it's just so iconic and like oh my god you guys do coke here it's like oh yeah we're like totally progressive (laughs) (laughs) and that's the thing too because like clueless is actually like it 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 gets brought up in like screenwriting symposiums and screening screenwriting books as a very good screenplay yeah to you know to look at as far as like screenplay structure goes and and it, it gets a lot of props. And again, you look at it on the surface and like, oh, that's going to be a really stupid movie. But a- again, it shows you that sometimes you actually have to watch these movies because they're going to surprise you. Yeah. And Clueless is absolutely one of those movies that, you know, is, is, it will surprise you in a good way for how good and how funny it is. And I think it also just, you know, not unlike the main character, Cher, it, looks super superficial on the surface but actually has quite a bit of depth when you actually watch the movie yeah you get to know it. yeah but legally blonde is another one like that right like mm-hmm. i mean you know you, you you're right if you're if you're just gonna look at oh it's just a movie about a dumb bimbo blonde or whatever right you're then you're gonna miss a really great movie because that's the whole point right that's the whole point is you're seeing that this again if like more than likely a female character has a lot more depth to her than what you think you're going to see. And again, that's the whole point of what these movies are trying to do. Yeah. So that's number five on my list. Okay. But moving right along, I'm actually realizing that this one is also an adaptation of a Shakespeare play. Um, this one is 10 Things I Hate About You, which is based on Taming of the Shrew. 
seemingly true. Yep. Yep. Um, also kind of ushered Heath Ledger into more stardom. Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah. kind of took him from Third yeah. Rock from the Sun to another level. Um, you had Julia Stiles. Um, I and this is another one that I just I I love so much. Um, again a very good adaptation of something that already existed, but really does stand on its own two feet and has a life of its own outside of that. An amazing soundtrack, just the the best romantic lead in Heath Ledger ever. Joseph Gordon-Levitt mm -hmm. is so stinking cute in this movie. Um, mm -hmm. It really is, and this, you know, another one that is super quotable. She has this poem that she's to write at the end that's like, she it's like a school assignment but it's after they like kind of break up and they're in class together and she um is listing all the ways she hates him and she's like i hate the way you wear your hair and the like you know lists all the the 10 things she hates about him and then at the very end she's like yeah, yeah. uh and the thing i hate the most about you is that i can't hate you at all not even a, or i can't hate you not even a little bit not even at all and it's like just such great writing it's so good yeah um yeah. yeah so this is have you seen this one i've actually never seen it it's oh, one it's of those so things good. that's kind of been on and off my list and i probably i probably should being the shakespeare fan that i am i should probably and, and i've heard that it was a i ha have always known that it's a adaptation of the taming of the shoe which i do like and um and that's kind of another point right like another thing maybe we could ask hollywood studios is like hey you know maybe lay off romeo and juliet a little bit Please. i mean the dude wrote 30 other plays and there are there's a wealth of work that he did that you can adapt that again will will give you a head start on making a terrific a terrific film i mean shakespeare is very adaptable and as as clueless shows and as 10 things i hate about you shows right and you know if people could just see beyond what they think is popular and go to what's like really good. Uh, again, you'll find these gems like a clueless, right? Like a 10 things I hate about you that you might not have known that you could have had. So uh, please more adaptations of Shakespeare in modern ways. I think, I think people would actually find it very refreshing in a weird way. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I'll just toss a couple honorable mentions out there. Just some that okay. I'm sure people have seen, but just in case. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time, I actually didn't think about as being a rom-com, but totally is, um, is Strictly Ballroom. The It's Baz Luhrmann's first feature film. Um, mm -hmm. It was one that I saw as a very young kid at a birthday party and absolutely hated it because it's just pure camp. It's stupid and silly. Um, but then I watched it in a film class in college and it immediately became my favorite movie ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's um again it's Baz Luhrmann so it's crazy it's before he had money so it's not quite on like Moulin Rouge or Romeo and Juliet level um but uh but it's the movie that got him there but it's the movie right? that like, got him there and so yeah. the the dialogue is very corny the premise is very silly it's about competitive ballroom in Australia and it is very like do or die um but it doesn't take itself seriously at all. And and the the romance between the two main characters, um, you know, it's kind of an ugly duckling situation. The girl um, is not 
a very skilled dancer at first. She doesn't, you know, all of the other women in the studio have like these crazy tans and like bleached hair and like crazy 80s makeup. And she has like kind of frizzy hair and wears glasses and, you know, very like stereotypical, like ugly duckling. And then she takes her glasses off and she's suddenly beautiful. But it works in this movie because it's already silly and is already making fun of these things in a way, but like while utilizing these tropes, um, it's calling them out for being silly, but also using them, if that makes sense. It So yeah. yep. Um, yep. I can't recommend that one enough. You have to stick with it. It is worth it in the end. Um, Romancing the Stone, obviously. Um, if you didn't, if you didn't you like, that. yes, you did. And I've, yes, yes. If you didn't like Argyle, this is probably a better version of Argyle from what I've heard. I know a lot of people didn't like Argyle, but it seemed like Argyle was trying to do this. It, you know what? I think now that I think, because I haven't seen Argyle yet, I, I do want to see it. Um, and I, it didn't really occur to me until you just mentioned it just now that I think maybe what was attractive about it to me was that it, you're right. It, it is a lot like Romancing the Stone yeah. from what the preview looked like. I, well, and man, the- Romancing the Stone is such a great screenplay casting is incredible it's fun it's a little goofy um it's not all that deep but it's it's just a fun ride uh that gives you just enough to to keep you interested you know oh, I, I love romancing the stone love it but here and here's the thing about romancing the stone for the time you know it was 1984 um yeah i i think Here's the thing. So it was Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner, who at the time were very, very hot people. But yes. it was actually funny and actually fun and didn't take itself seriously at all. And that's where it works. And yes. she's and so more- neurotic and he's so like weird that it makes sense that it, t- you know what I mean? Like it makes sense that well, like, they, they, just, right. yeah. they have, they have faults. She's neurotic and paranoid and and can't take care of herself and he's you know a loner and a bit chauvinistic as well and uh they're again they're imperfect people who end up being perfect for each other so yes no matter how good they are and then you team them up with danny devito yeah who's very very funny and his cousin ira i can't remember the actor's name is also yeah, very very funny hand. look at those snappers right <laughs> um uh the the whole movie is like a it's a ride and i because i think that's the thing is i don't necessarily think of it as a rom-com so much as i think of it as an action movie or as an action comedy Mm -hmm. but i can certainly see how it could fall into the rom-com as well yeah i think it kind of walks that line a little bit i think and and i think that's the thing about it too is that it it has crossover it it's kind of it falls into a lot of different genres um last thing i'll talk about is um I do want to just shout out to recent rom-coms that came out that felt very different and felt um, like a step in the right direction. One was Fire Island, um, which came out on Hulu. That is an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Um, okay. That is, it's a gay rom-com. It takes place on Fire Island. It's very different. It's, you know, but it, it's a great adaptation <laughs> and feels very new. Um, so if you like adaptations, watch that one. And then, um, oh my God, what was my last one? I'm complete. Oh, Bottoms. Bottoms was awesome. And that one is 
maybe not quite a romantic comedy. I think you can make an argument that it is because there is, you know, the premise is these two girls are trying to get these other two girls to sleep with them. Um, but they actually, like, one of them ends up falling in love with the girl. And it is, um, it's so stupid and so wacky. And the ending is absurd and ridiculous but it is actually one of the funniest movies i've ever seen and i think if hollywood wants to know how to do a contemporary rom-com the right way look at fire island and look at bottoms all right well that's a great call to action hollywood do your thing <laughs> uh, cool well hey i think that uh that's a great list and uh, when i listen to this i'm gonna write it down because i have not seen bottoms and i've not seen fire island i should probably take a look at both of those they're both um, very good cool i will definitely check them out all right well i think that we've uh successfully gone through our lists and given some people some ideas to watch movies on valentine's day uh if they want to have a romantic time with their partner and yeah, I guess that's it for us. Please uh, rate us and leave reviews. And you can find me on uh, Letterboxd at BrianSMI71. Um, and you can find me at Mackenzie Kate on Letterboxd. And you can also find our podcast Instagram at GenXVZPod on Instagram. Yes, please do uh, check us out there. Uh, all right. Well, that's it for now. And we will be back next week with another exciting, riveting episode of the Gen X VZ podcast. We'll talk to you later.